I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Straws are scarce and impossible burgers are all around. There's an undeniable emphasis on individual actions as a solution to curb climate change. But like anything, there may be more than meets the eye. During New York City's Climate Week, I spoke to Dr. Michael Mann. He's like the Michael Jordan of making climate science relatable. And he had some really great insight on how the push for personal action got started and who it really helps. Mike, it's so good to see you again. Uh, You too. Great to be with you. Busy week of Climate Week in New York City. Yeah. It's a little crazy, um, (laughs) in a good way, right? Uh, This issue is finally seeming to get the attention that it deserves. Um, And that's what last week was about with the Mm -hmm. climate strikes and and, and the the youth climate movement around the world. And now this week, of course, it's focusing on the action. What do we need to do centered here on the UN uh, summit that's taking place in New York City, really focusing attention on what do we need to do to solve this problem? Now, whenever we talk about what we need to do to solve this problem, a lot of attention gets paid to straws right now or to whether or not we're flying or to whether or not we're purchasing a new electric vehicle. How much is our individual footprint making a difference whenever it comes to, you know, greenhouse gas emissions? Yeah, it's a great question. And there is a lot of focus these days on sort of individual action. And, you know, uh, I'm uh, sort of... mixed feelings, I would say, about that. On the one hand, individual action is important, uh, right? There are all sorts of things that we can do to minimize our you know, individual environmental footprint and our carbon footprint. And in many cases, th- those things you know, save us money, they make us healthier, they make us happier. Why wouldn't we do them? Um, also, you know, individuals can do things like vote. Um, mm-hmm. And we can vote for politicians who are willing to do something about this problem and vote out politicians who aren't. Uh, of course, that leads to collective collective action because in order to have an impact on an election you need massive numbers of people to vote and so we need to be organized and we need to focus on sort of the policy aspects of this problem so individual actions alone you know not eating cheeseburgers um, not using plastic straws gets so much attention and it's almost irrelevant really to the climate problem uh, more relevant uh, perhaps to the global plastic pollution problem um, and you know flying not flying part of what's happening here in my view um, is that people are focusing on you know what can i do to solve this problem but at the same time uh, it's being used as a distraction by uh, the forces of denial and delay really yeah it's what um is uh, sometimes referred to as a deflection campaign and huh. we we saw this back in the, in the 1970s for example with the famous Crying Indian commercial. Do you remember this commercial? I wasn't alive for it, but I do know it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was alive, and it was a, it was an influential public service announcement. Uh, Native American, turns out to have actually been an Italian-American, the actor who played him. So even, it, it, it was a deception <laughs> at the most basic level. Um, but what it, um, it, it, its message was, you know, that people, Um, can solve the problem of pollution and it's all about individual action and it seemed like a good motivating um, you know very uh, positive uh, you know focusing um, advertising campaign and there is a generation of people and I'm part of it who were more attuned to the problem of 
pollution and personal responsibility because of it. But it turns out it was actually a propaganda campaign by the beverage industry. Beverage industry. Yeah, Coca-Cola, major uh, beverage producers, because um, they didn't want to be responsible for the massive uh, plastic and and, uh, metal pollution that they were producing. Okay. And so there was a threat, a mounting threat of bottle bills um, passing at the states, and there was um, the potential for a nationwide bottle bill that would require a deposit. Um, and that would lead to recycling. Yeah. And um, that would hurt their bottom line because they would be responsible for the processing of all that stuff. Um, and so they hatched this campaign. We're here in New York City, not far from here in Madison Avenue. Okay. Is where that campaign was hatched by lobbyists, ag- advertising executives, um, and, and beverage industry uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, interests who decided that they needed a campaign to distract, to deflect attention from the systemic solutions, like a bottle, regulatory solutions, like a bottle bill towards personal action. This so familiar, doesn't it? Yes, doesn't it? And this is what we're seeing now um, repackaged in the climate change uh, arena, in the climate discussion, where uh, some of the forces of inaction and delay are trying to focus attention on personal behavior um, so that we don't have the conversation we need to about systemic change, the need for policies, putting a price on carbon Mm -hmm. in particular. So this is forces that be saying, hey, if we make this an individual issue, this is not an issue of... um, of corporations, we don't need to solve this with the government. This is an issue of individuals. You are making the bad choices. You are using those straws and killing the sea turtles. That it's kind of this less focus on the huge issues that you're talking about here. Absolutely, let me just say also it's a twofer, right? Because on the one hand, it's a useful distraction, a deflection away from the need for policy, but also provides some great talking points for climate change contrarians, right? They're gonna take away your hamburger. They're gonna take (laughs) away, you're not gonna be able to um, visit grandma (laughs) during the holidays. Um, And they've been, so in fact, um, the forces of of denial and sort of the, some of the um, uh, sort of uh, you know climate change denying organizations and those who advocate for them um, have been using this messaging very effectively um, to to sort of tar the climate movement um, with and and to sort of try to uh, to 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 attach this baggage um, to the climate movement in an attempt to to, to make it less uh, acceptable to many Americans who don't want to give up those things, right? right? More individualistic, less collective. Yeah. But there is still power in people's collective choices because that drives how consumers respond. We've seen Absolutely. a number of corporations at Climate Week that have made these sustainable goals yeah. and are, you know, uh, this this corporate level response that I'm not saying it's sufficient, but it is something. Yeah. And I feel like that has to come from the consumers, right? Yeah. yeah so you need both. 
You yeah. know, the, the real answer is you need individual action and you need collective action and systemic change. Uh, neither can be a substitute for the other. And what's happened is mm-hmm. the individual action side of it has been hijacked by, uh, again, by bad actors um, yeah. who would like you to think that it is the entire solution and it somehow is a substitute mm. for policies. It's the talking points. Now, it's interesting. A friend of ours, Bob Inglis, whenever he was on this podcast, he actually made a comment. He said, you know, I'm not going to eat only granola and wear a hair shirt. (laughs) You know, that was his his perspective. It's funny because last time I saw him, he was doing both. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. He was (laughs) grown his hair out. Yeah, yeah. total hippie now. It's wild. Um, No, he's he's fantastic. But he he brings himself Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. He's he's a great guy. He's Uh, wonderful. And he he you know he brings up kind of this moral perspective that sometimes the morality doesn't convince everyone. And in his argument, you know, the conservative side isn't going to be swayed by a moral argument. But actually, from what I remember of the um, Paris Climate Accord negotiations, the moral argument was exactly what brought India on board. And there's kind of these different tactics that you have to take with different people. So are we alienating half of the country in the U.S. whenever we, you know, appeal on a moral level, you know, the images of the sea turtles with the the straws in their nose. I keep bringing that up, but it's because it now on certain websites, they're selling straws as a part of a way to raise money for certain campaigns, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it again, you know, these things can be hijacked um, for various reasons um, and, and, and it diminishes, right, what needs to be done. It it's a, becomes a caricature, right, um, if we're not careful um, when, we, when we make it entirely about straws and sea turtles. Um, and, it, you know, you, you, you're getting at something that is more, um, you know, there's a deeper question here because it goes beyond just the climate movement, but I suppose it, 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 it relates to uh, political change and social change in general, is that in order to have social change, or political change, um, you need a broad coalition. And it, it, inherently, a broad coalition is going to consist of people with different priorities, different preferences, mm. um, and who are going to be reached by different messages. And that's why it is critical that we have a variety of trusted messengers in this space that span the range from evangelical Christians who mm-hmm. can really speak to those audiences um, with, with credibility um, to scientists um, who play an important role in this discussion because there is an important scientific issue at the heart of this crisis, the climate crisis. Um, you really need a variety of trusted messengers who uh, have a differing approaches, um, come from different communities, and are likely to be more effective with, with different audiences. There is no one-size-fits-all. and that. You know, there is always the... Yeah, good. I don't want to be the bad guy. <laughs> the door's on the other side. Oh, oh. Okay. oh okay, great. So there's no one-size-fits-all. No, exactly. Uh, we have to recognize that. And, and it does mean that... Um, 
you know, that uh, sometimes um, one message might not only not resonate with another audience, but might turn that audience off. And uh, we have to be cognizant of that that as well. There are all of these different constraints um, when you're trying to, again, uh, raise awareness um, and lead to change uh, uh, among a very you know, wide cross-section of the population. So when we look at these, the recent headlines, or not even headlines, just recent commentary from our, you know, political leaders in the country, there has been, from what I can see, a little bit of a shift um, with some of the more conservative parties too. And it's always, there's always a shifting argument whenever it comes to, you know, climate change, but there's been a little bit seems like more interest in potentially addressing the topic, but it seems like it's coming from a very economic standpoint, which is, you know, different from moral, like we were talking about, different voices for different people. But that seems like that is exactly what Greta Thunberg called out in her address to the UN, like, stop trying to make money off of me and looking for hope from me, Um, you know, do your job. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, again, and it gets at this... This, this issue of multiple messengers with different messages, um, you know, there are um, probably, you know, conservative people in the business community who, who might be uh, amenable to an economic argument for climate action uh, mm-hmm. coming from someone like Bob Inglis. They might be turned off by hmm. some of the rhetoric um, that we're hearing, you know, from, from Greta and others. Um, uh, her, her, her speech, a very powerful, fiery uh, speech um, yesterday, but um, but at the same time, it, there was some anger in there, and um, and that that will turn off some some people, yes. and so it really gets at this this notion that there's no one ideal messenger or message. Um, there is an important message about you know our ethical responsibility not to degrade this planet for our children and grandchildren and, and, and Greta Thunberg is making that case so forcefully and effectively and it's a, and, and it's great to see her do that but there is a different case that we probably have to be making to sort of moderate conservatives um, who you know might not be compelled by those arguments but uh, do care about the bottom line as they understand you know, the damage, the great damage to our economy that climate change is already doing in the form of, you know, inundation, sea level rise and mm-hmm. uh, more intense uh, hurricanes um, and these, you know, unprecedented extreme weather events, uh, droughts and heat waves and floods, um, um, making it difficult, for example, to get insurance you know, yeah. in, in California, in, in southern Florida, um, fire insurance, flood insurance. Uh, tougher and tougher. Tougher and Every tougher. year. And forcing people to move, um, you know, uh, away from the coastlines. Um, so there are very practical here and now, you know, sort of nuts and bolts, um, you know, threats that we are now facing because of climate change. And there are people who are going to be compelled by that, who, who may not be compelled by the moral arguments, and, and that's okay. So whenever you've been working on this new book, that I think has something to do with what we're talking about here. Has there been anything that has just really surprised you or anything that you've learned that you didn't already know about this whole tactic? 
Yeah, so the the book, the the title is Winning the New Climate War. And uh, Okay. You have title already. Yes, we do. Um, uh, it's going to be published with Pub- Public Affairs uh, Publishing, uh, which is an imprint of Perseus uh, books. And uh, probably more than a year out at this point. Um, but uh, but what it's really looking at is, you know, the evolving nature of sort of the uh, the climate inaction or delay movement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're moving away from outright denial of the basic science. Um, uh, you're seeing the forces of inaction move away from those arguments because they're just not credible to the person on the street. The person yeah. on the street can see with their own two eyes. It's not just scientists saying it anymore. Right. They're seeing it now. Exactly. Sadly. Sadly, it means we've gone uh, far, you know, far, much farther down that road than we ever should have gone. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that um, we're seeing uh, such profound impacts now tells you that there is even worse that's now already baked in. Mm. Um, it's the veritable tip of the iceberg um, and uh, the literal tip of the iceberg, in a sense, uh, when it comes to the, the loss of yeah. ice and the rise in sea level. Uh, of course, icebergs don't contribute to sea level rise, but <laughs> they, melting ice sheets do. <laughs> whenever they're falling off ice sheets on land. Exactly. Barely. When they're coming off of ice sheets, they absolutely do, and that's the problem. Um, so what we're seeing now is a move away from this hard denial mm-hmm. to sort of softer denial, which is, oh, it's not really a problem, or we can adapt, or we can engineer our way out of this. Let's just uh, encourage um, innovation in the marketplace, and the problem will solve itself. The market is magic it'll just find solutions if you just allow the economy to grow uh, some people like my friend Naomi Oreskes refer to that as free market fundamentalism hmm. it, 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 it is a fundamental it's an article of faith that the free market can solve any problem leave it up to that right it's almost like that when people say you know give it to god right it's kind of give it to the marketplace exactly and we in in fact we know you know mainstream economists will tell you well no, no that simply isn't true if you have what's known as an externality which is to say there's damage being done, sometimes called the tragedy of the commons. If there's damage being done by uh, the behavior of individuals and organizations and actors, uh, corporations, um, and there isn't a price signal, there's no measure of that damage in the economy itself, then everybody will suffer because there's Mm. no incentive to do anything about it. Um, That is the problem with climate change. There, at least up to now, has been no cost of putting carbon pollution into the atmosphere. It's doing damage to all of us, yeah. but there's no price. Um, uh, there's no we cost have, of doing it. We have taxes on cigarettes. We have taxes on alcohol. We have taxes on, I mean, corporations don't pay very many taxes, but there are other taxes that they are right. paying. Absolutely. Uh, it's actually a word in uh, classical economics, uh, Pigovian taxes, um, taxes that are meant to decrease a consumption of things that are bad mm. for, for you, yeah. <laughs> or in this case for the environment. And the conservative uh, economist Milton Friedman, uh, who's sort of the hero to uh, many conservatives in the world of economics, actually believed, um, articulated the case for these so-called uh, Pigovian taxes. Huh. Um, and in fact, there are conservatives today who are arguing for that. Our friend uh, Bob Inglis uh, yeah. being an excellent example, uh, as he says it, you know, let's tax the things we want less of, like carbon pollution, 
and where his politics come in and say, and let's decrease taxes on things that we that, that we want more of, like jobs. So let's you know, decrease um, the income tax, and that's a political decision. But the larger argument that we can perhaps um, put a price on carbon, tax carbon in a way that's revenue neutral. Mm-hmm. So we offset that tax by decreasing some other tax. You know, that's that's a, a reasonable ideological position, right? Um, and, and I think that's what we need is a real debate about real issues um, where people with different, you know, views, idea, ideological um, you know, uh, viewpoints can come to the table, agree that we have a problem, that we need to solve that problem, and have a, a, a healthy debate about how we do it. And, and people, conservatives like Bob Inglis are really doing that on the conservative side of the, the table. And, and I think that there is um, some movement in that direction, but the forces of denial and delay uh, continue to fight hard. Um, and so they use wedge issues, um, like getting people arguing over their cheeseburgers and right. their air, <laughs> air travel. Um, and they're generating, um, there's some evidence now that they're, they're trying to generate sort of dissent within the climate community. I see it every day on Twitter. Do you think that this is the loudest that the um, call for collective action on climate has been? Or do you think that we have had times in the past that it was louder? Like, are we at the fever pitch? We are. And in part, um, you know, sometimes it comes down to uh, one individual appears in in history um, that somehow galvanizes attention, that mobilizes support. and in this case, it's a 16-year-old girl um, who has changed the entire dynamic, who has captured the attention, the imagination of, of the public um, because of her you know, campaign, her single sort of uh, minded campaign um, to, to save the world for her and, and her fellow um, you know, uh, the other children uh, of, of the world who are the ones who are going to suffered the greatest consequences of our failure to act on this problem and they're not in a position to do anything about it in a direct political way they can't vote um, right they can't directly participate in the political process but they can influence the political process and that's what they're doing and it's profound and i think we are at a unique moment in time i think it is different from anything we've seen before and it's part of why i'm cautiously optimistic that we uh that, 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 that we will see progress, despite all of the forces and their very uh, well-funded and well-organized forces that are aligned against us. I don't think there's any way to compete with the moral authority when, when our children speak out in the way that they're doing. That is a wonderful note to end on, Mike. Thank you so much for coming back on Warming Signs. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Kate. Where do your opinions lie on this question of whether the focus on individual action is a new climate change denial tactic? Let me know. Tweet at me at WeatherKate. That's at Weather K-A-I-T. And if you've listened to this entire podcast, it likely means that you might maybe, maybe just maybe like the content just a little bit. So subscribe and rate wherever you get your podcasts. We publish new episodes every other Tuesday. Until next time. 